0: And he was talking about permaculture and the interrelationships of these plant species and how they enjoyed being in proximity with each other and working together. And that brought another like uh, element to the tradition. And then after six years, I found Don Enrique Lopez, the Chapipo Corandero, and and at that point, I um, I felt like this is this is definitely like exactly what I want to have and this is the tradition that I resonate the most with and and so to this day I still work with the Lopez family. Enrique is just on break right now actually today the the group from the eight-week course our initiation course came out of the jungle today uh, just for two days to take a break and then they'll go back in and start another four weeks and um, and then Enrique's brother Don Rohner leads our other programs at our Uh, retreat and research center called Riospo. And that group will be coming out of the jungle next weekend after finishing a four-week empowerment course. And I still work with them. We've been working together for 10 years now, and I still resonate. In fact, I resonate more and more with the tradition. And there's very simple principles of the tradition that I think everyone resonates with, to be honest, um, simply by being alive. The basic principle of the healing is that healing is not something that anyone does. It is something that happens. And it happens by divine will. We all have a divine motivating principle in our being. In fact, all life is a divine motivating principle. And the only thing that a healer does, or that you do to heal, is to remove the obstacles that get in the way of that divine motivating principle achieving its goals. And so the easiest understanding of that is when you get cut, you have a cut. I I actually got a cut today. Uh, yesterday I was cleaning my toilet and cut myself because I was using a pumice stone. Um, so do I heal that cut? Do I make that cut heal? Does somebody make that cut heal? Nope, it will heal. We all know it. We've all had it happen. But what do you do? You keep it clean. You just keep the obstacles out. You know, you, you, you prevent there from being something that gets in the way. Because if I got it dirty and if I let it get dirty, it could get infected. It could actually kill me if I let the infection like get to such a degree. But all I have to do to heal it is clean it. Because the healing... Takes place as a natural divine motivation. And, and that's the principle uh, that underlies the whole Shapibo tradition, at least the one that we work with. It, you just cleanse the body. And so you want to cleanse the central nervous system. You want to cleanse the circulatory system. You want to cleanse the re- respiratory system. You want to cleanse the digestive system. You want just cleanse all the systems. And And then the consciousness elements of it, in a way, is another aspect of it. Of course, I talk about personal truths and whether they're beneficial or not, but you could also say that a detrimental personal truth is an obstacle to the divine motivating principle. And and so transforming detrimental personal truths is another way of cleansing your emotional body or your mental body. And all of that, resonates with me so much. I'm not a big fan of like killing things, which I think is a, a common um, methodology or ideology within medicine. Like you you take a medicine to kill something else, you're at war, you battle, you battle a disease, you kill it, you, you destroy it. I'm not uh, such a huge fan of that and I like much more that Healing happens when obstacles are removed. Um, I'm curious also
1: about something. um, I should dig deeper into your um, journey with diets. What was the first diet you ever had? And if you could also, you know, share on the importance of a diet, and what does it actually mean?
0: Yeah, great great question. Um, So it's kind of weird for me to even talk about my first diets because I don't have them anymore which maybe doesn't even make sense Um, so I probably would prefer to just start with uh, saying what a diet is because I didn't know what a diet was in fact I'm still working on it like I'm still learning more and developing more of a understanding about what a diet is now but I know in the beginning I was looking at it all wrong and for that reason I don't have those diets with me anymore and so what is a diet well a diet is a relationship it's a relationship building exercise actually but the result of a diet is the relationship that you build from doing the diet and so in the Shapibo culture you would refer to the dieta as the act that you did, the event, the uh, activity that took place over a particular period of time, but you would also refer to the result of that activity, the relationship that you gained from that activity, as your dieta also, which can be a bit confusing. What is the dieta ultimately? It is the cultivation of an intimate relationship with a particular plant spirit. And so there's a methodology that was developed through the tradition of ayahuasca or curanderismo that helps to deepen that relationship, to create that relationship, and to keep that relationship with you. And if you don't uh, cultivate and maintain a relationship, then just like we know in our relationships with people, they fade away, you don't have them. Maybe you can call them back and rekindle a relationship but keeping your dietas is the same as keeping your friendships keeping the relationships that you have and there's a spectrum of how well you're doing that and and how close and how deep they are there are certain friends i know that i have that i might not talk to them for five years but if i give them a call right like that, we're just back to being best friends again, because that was the nature of the depth of our relationship. And so that's basically the goal of what you're hoping to achieve when you do a dieta. Now, the mechanics of the dieta vary, and I don't even think it's that important to talk about it, but I will say that the most important elements of the dieta come down to a commitment and determination and caring. Uh, which is basically how I would describe what is important with the relationships that we have with people. Um, But unfortunately, the way that I looked at it and the way that I think that a lot of people make the mistake of looking at it, which is understandable because of the word dieta, but we tend to look at it in terms of what we have to restrict ourselves from, like the restrictions, and so people will often say, well, you don't have sex, and you don't uh, eat oil, and you don't eat sugar, and you don't have hot spicy foods, you don't do this, 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 but they don't actually talk too much about what you do, (laughs) And, and to me, that's how I was doing it too, and for that reason, I was really missing the point, Imagine if someone was like, Oh, so what's marriage like? And you were like, Well, you can't have sex with anyone else, and you you know, like listed all the things that you can't do, and, and that was their description. Anyone listening to that would be like, You do not sound like you are happily married. But um, and 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 it's very similar to that but there's a contract, which is also similar to marriage, you're literally like signing a contract of marriage that has stipulations in it. And so part of that is part of your contract, and I mean with a plant dieta. Essentially, you're creating a a contractual agreement where you're going to agree to live your life in a particular way uh, for a period of time. And the plant medicines, uh, the plant spirits are essentially agreeing to become friends with you, to build this relationship with you, which would result in guidance and insight and protection and all of these attributes that having a a plant spirit as a close ally provide. But like I was making the same mistake, I knew when the contract was going to end and so even before it was going to end, I was already fantasizing about what I was going to do when it was going to end because I was too preoccupied with the things that I had given up or the the restrictions that I had according to the dieta. By that, by more specifically, uh, like a week before, I was like, okay, so when the diet ends, I'm going to go get an ice cream sundae with hot fudge, and I'm going to go have a piece of chocolate cake. And then I'm going to have some fried chicken and French fries. And then I'm going to, you know, like I was planning out how I was going to enjoy and relish in, in the things that I had sacrificed for this dieta. And now go back to the diet, uh, to the marriage reference okay, so let's say you're married, but your contract ends, you know, you've agreed to be married for seven years, and now you're coming to the end. And now you're dreaming about, oh, I'm going to like, definitely go visit the hot neighbor that I've been scoping out. And I'm, you know, I'm going to do all these things that I couldn't do while I was married.
1: You would essentially
0: be tainting the entirety of your relationship. Because if your spouse knew that that, that's what you were thinking, then you would not have even been married. Your entire marriage would have been a failure, would have been worthless. Because the entire time, even if you were following those rules, like maybe you're saying, oh, well, I fantasize 20 times a day about having sex with other people, but I don't do it, so therefore I'm a good husband. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. And now put that into reference with plant spirits. They know what you're fantasizing. They see your fantasies. So that you can't hide that. You can't just like show up out of your hut and say, yeah, we're all good. I I still haven't uh, done anything against the rules, but your mind has been eating cheeseburgers all day. You know, so... (laughs) So I didn't understand these things. I didn't, you know, I was very like thinking that as long as I followed the rules, it didn't really matter what was going on in my head. And it took me a while to realize that, yeah, that's not, that's not actually doing a dieta. And and what kind of clued me in was a weird thing that my teacher did because, um, it was so confusing. I mean, it 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 was so like, it, it would twist my mind up because if anyone ever asked my teacher, and I mean Don Enrique, can I do this? He would always say, yeah. You know, so you'd be like, could, could I, is it okay if I have some fried chicken today on my diet? And he would say, sure. Yeah. And I'd be like, What? Like, what are you saying? You just told that person they can have fried chicken on their diet? What the heck is that? And it took me such a long time to realize that, well, if I'm asking if I can do it, then what? I already broke the diet. You know, if you go to your wife and or husband and you say, hey, is it okay if I have sex with a neighbor? <laughs> like, it's over. Like, it doesn't even matter what the answer is, you know? <laughs> And and so it took me a while to get to that point. And so that's why it's not that important to me to talk about my first diets, because I don't even look at them as good diets, almost in the sense that like, we have our first relationships, and we're not really sure our first intimate relationships in our lives as humans, human to human relationships. And we're not really sure how to do it. You know, like, I'm not I wasn't a good boyfriend because I really didn't hadn't figured it out and and so it takes you know maybe some people it doesn't but it took me a few tries at being a boyfriend to get to the point where I felt like I was even understanding what it meant to be a good boyfriend and and so in that sense I I had a bunch of wasted diets or and I, they weren't wasted I learned a lot from them but I don't have them with me they're not diets that I call when I'm in ceremony. And so that's essentially the goal of having the diet. When you, a corandero does a diet and then when they have this relationship with the plant spirit, then in ceremony, they call that plant spirit to come into the ceremony, to be with them, to help them with the healing process, to help them see and understand what people need to do in order to be healed, what plant medicines will be the best for them to take things of that nature and then also you call those plant spirits when you're doing particular treatments as well. So one can end a relationship with a diet by not
1: following those rules as you are in the diet. How right? And how was the time frame to follow those restrictions for?
0: Yeah, well I again, I don't want to focus on the restrictions, but a contract is a contract, so it can be as short as 8 days. But it could be as long as eight years. Um, I personally have found that a shorter diet, I think, is is actually the better route to take. Probably as a as a Westerner, as you know, as a as a person that lives in a world of sin, you could say, like in a world of temptation, um, it's easier to commit and then to make the most out of a short diet. Whereas it's, it's in my experience, like even just doing a diet of six weeks, you kind of get, you, you kind of like lose the, uh, the motivation. Mm. It's It's not like essential that that happens, but in my experience, you're not so like committed to it because you know that it's six weeks long. Whereas if you did an eight day diet, for example, and again, like I keep bouncing back to the analogy of a human relationship, because I think that it helps us to understand so much. It certainly has helped me to understand. Imagine if you only had eight days with someone that you loved. How would you spend those eight days? Well, you'd hopefully want to pack as much attention that you give to them every moment you could. You know, you'd want to be thinking about them every night, In your dreams you'd want to be dreaming about them. As soon as you woke up in the morning you'd want to be giving attention to them because you knew that you only had eight days. And so you would just be giving everything you had all the time throughout that eight day period. But then say, okay, I'm going to be with this person I love for eight weeks. Well you could maybe imagine that like, yeah well one day you wake up and I don't know going to go do something with my friends instead. Like I got eight weeks. Like it's not so important that I spend all this attention on this, this person I love because I've got eight, I know I've got eight weeks. And then maybe at towards the end, you're like, oh shit, it's, it's coming to an end. I better like squeeze in the attention uh, now that I realize that it's coming to an end. I hope that makes sense. But basically like you can make a very high quality diet in eight days and and because of that, the quality might actually be more than what a longer diet and quantity might get you. Does that make sense?
1: It, it does make sense. I ask because I see there's there's some places where they do three weeks, one month, two months, three months, six months, twelve months diets. So I, I was quite curious of from your own experience, what what what's your point of view on you know on dieting and I felt it was quite interesting there. Um, again, I think it comes down to your intention of exactly how you said on that relationship. How much are you gonna cherish that? Um, and you know, if it's meant to be the relationship, then it will be. And um, indeed, it does answer that question.
0: Um, if you do a diet that's one year long, and you don't give attention to the diet, you don't. You're not giving attention to the plant spirit. At the end of the year you're not going to have a good diet just like if you are married and maybe a bunch of people that listening are married and you're not paying attention to your spouse then yeah months could go by and you don't have a good relationship with them and and so it's not the the quantity just like when we were talking about age you know, at what age are you a particular, the quantity to me is, is, it's a generalization, but, but really it's, it's, it's not, doesn't hold a lot of meaning because we know for a fact that there are people that have been together for a very short period of time and they have managed to cultivate tremendous love for each other. And there are people who've been married for 80 years and they might not love each other at all. And, and so, the the time is much less important as yeah. the quality.
1: Yeah. An
0: example I use a lot of because, of course, I we have an eight week initiation course, and a lot of people have. Uh, well, I've heard some criticism that we are implying that you can learn the tradition in eight weeks, which, of course, is not what we're trying to say. But but I do feel like a lot can be learned in eight weeks. And an example I use to to talk about how that's possible is I know actually the manager at our at Riospo, Nick Lewis, he's a phenomenal guitarist. When he showed up, he was like 21 years old to do his first retreat in 2011, and he was a phenomenal guitarist at the age of 21. And yeah, he'd been playing for 10 years, but he was probably a phenomenal guitarist when he was 16. And then you could take someone who has been playing the guitar for 30 years, and they're just not that great at it. Why aren't they that great at it? Well, because they've never really put the attention to it. You know, they play a little bit. They're satisfied with what they know. They know some songs, but they're not so passionate about it. They're not so in love with it that they want to get better and better and better every day. And so we all know someone who's some teenager and they're a phenom. You know, they're they're a maestro of whatever it is, whether they're playing the guitar or whatever. And then there's someone that's been doing the same thing for decades and they're not as good. And so I don't really adhere too much to the ideas that, oh, you have to do a diet for this long or, or it takes this long to be a corandero all of those are very generalized statements that are not really that helpful to me each individual is their own person and their own path and they have their own way of being their way of living and whether they follow their pursuits to the highest degree or what they're capable of and as long as everyone's doing the best they can then again like i I always fall back to doing the best you can. A, a person, just yeah. because a healer has 40 years of experience doesn't mean they're going to be able to heal you better than someone who has two years of experience.
1: And I was curious also, uh, since we are touching upon these topics as well, how does someone become a grandero? And uh, yeah, I'm curious about that. Can just anybody who feels drawn to a medicine go there and find a teacher or... It's just a calling.
0: Well, I think that when we say calling, we're using that as a way of describing our observations of someone that picks something up very quickly or learns it, you know, obviously you could say that I had a calling. Because from my very first ceremony I had tremendous visions. From my second ceremony, I had such profound visions that I created core beliefs in in, that became the truths of my identity in the third ceremony again. So in in like 10 days time, I had gotten to the point where I could heal myself, which I did in the fourth ceremony. And so you could look at that, those events and say, well, it's my calling. I don't know. I mean, to me, I'm not sure if one comes before the other. I think the calling is usually the way that we describe what we see, you know, someone that is six years old and they're playing the violin amazingly. We would say they were born to do that. Well, were they really born to do that or are we just saying that because they're obviously so great at it? Um, And so, In that regard, like, I think that anyone can be a healer, to be honest. Um, I, I also think that anyone can learn how to play the piano. Does that mean that you're going to take lessons and become a phenomenon and sit in concert halls and, you know, have thousands of people come to your concerts? No. Very, very few people will do that. But does it mean that you'll be able to actually play the, guitar, uh, play the piano and play songs and have pre- people listen to those songs, even if they're just in your living room, and enjoy them and be thankful that you shared them with them? Probably. And so I definitely think there's a spectrum of the abilities that a healer can achieve. But what makes a healer is really heart. You know, it's really just a desire to help people. And, and so even that though, some people grow up and we end up being a certain way. And unfortunately some people grow up and they don't care about other people and they're not interested in helping other people. Those people probably cannot become healers unless they have a personal transformation within themselves which is certainly a possibility but I don't think that people are born with a particular path intended for them. But I do feel like we say that once we realize our path, you know, it's like a, a way <laughs> of describing it. Like well, by, now that I've, now that I've found my path, I realize I was born to do this. Um, I, you know, I think that's common, but I, but I think that it's more like a, a way of describing our observations about what we're, what we're very good at. Rather than like literal uh, soul path or something, but that's the way that I choose to look at it.
1: Thank you, Carlos. That that does answer the question there. And uh, talking about questions, Steve has a question here. I know he's been waiting for some time. Uh, what do you think about his question there?
0: Oh shit! I don't know where where am I looking? So, at? Yeah, oh, oh crap! I just realized that there's something <laughs> called live comment. <laughs> Steve, no. How would you explain the working with the spirit of the ayahuasca or other plants with the fact that plants are cooked and most of the time dead when you consume them? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you were listening to the entirety of, my, uh, of this um, podcast, but there was a point where I was talking about a very profound experience that had an incredibly important meaning in my life where a spirit of my godmother's son came to me in ceremony and put his hand on my shoulder and that helped to solidify the reality of spirits and um he physically was dead um he was no longer alive he had committed suicide six months earlier uh, but his spirit was certainly there and certainly conscious and i interacted with him in a profound way um so I do not feel that spirit ceases to exist when the physical elements of the being are no longer alive, whether that's a plant or an animal or a person. And so I guess that would be my explanation for how we can work with spirits of plants, even though we are ingesting them in a state that is dead. I hope that was a good enough answer.
1: Thank you, Carlos. Crap, I, I just realized
0: that all of this is here.
1: <laughs> I appreciate that. And uh, now, now it's my turn, Carlos. I, I have questions, many questions and curiosities. So you've been at that time, you know, practicing, dieting, experiencing, deepening, healing, healing yourself, healing others, and coming more in tune with your mission and what you were developing at that stage. And this created the Ayahuasca Foundation and the Riosbo Center. and I wanna know more about it. What are you guys doing there? And what are you guys doing there? Tell me (laughs) how and all
0: about it. Yes. Um, Well, about three years into my apprenticeship. And to be honest, I I never even called it an apprenticeship. Um, I just was living with my teacher and I was learning, you know. Uh, But about three years in, I one day was in my room just looking at my uh, collection of materials. Uh, being a Westerner, I had taken notes, as something that indigenous cultures never did because they did not have written languages in the Amazon rainforest. And I had um, Sony mini disc recorder, so I was recording the ceremonies and I was transcribing the lyrics of the Icaros and translating those lyrics into English. And I had a keyboard, and so I was writing the musical notation of the the notes of those ikaros. So I had a, a notebook of musical notation with the musical notes and the lyrics and the translations of the ikeros that were sung in the ceremony. Those are the healing songs.
1: And these are uh, she people, she
0: people. Uh, no, this was my first teacher. So he was mestizo. He wasn't... Um, uh, Shipibo, he wasn't actually indigenous. His grandfather was from China, his grandmother from India, his other grandmother from Italy, and his other grandfather from Peru. So he was only a quarter Peruvian, but his grandfather, who was Chinese, was also a plant doctor. So um, so he he came from two very distinct lineages of plant medicine, which made for a very, very interesting combination. Um, but yeah, so he sang ikaros that were in um, Quechua and in Spanish, But anyway, I had this collection and I also had a video camera. So I had filmed ceremonies. The Sony camera back then had an infrared light. So I was filming ceremonies um, so I could see like what he was doing and kind of spying on him in a way. Uh, not that he was objecting to it. It's just that it was so dark in the ceremony. Normally you couldn't see, but I wanted to see what he was doing rather than just listening and trying to guess. So, so I was watching him um, and recording certain ceremonies as well. And also filming outside of the ceremonies as he was making ayahuasca or other plant remedies and and doing other treatments. And so I had amassed this like collection of materials had these recordings so I could listen to them and learn the ikaros much faster with reading along with the lyrics. So it made it possible to learn an ikaro in just a few days, as opposed to trying to just listen and not have any notes taken and no recordings. And that be all that you had to go on, which took a long, a lot longer. And, um, and I, I said to myself, man, what if, what if when I showed up, I was like, hey, Don Juan, I'm here to study. And he was like, oh great, here. And he handed me all of this. Like I could have learned so much in such a shorter time, amount of time. I could have learned all of this in, in a short amount of time. It took me so long to learn all this because it wasn't put into the format that I am accustomed to learning. But now I had it in that format. And so that gave birth to the idea to to do the initiation course. And I was to teach it. In fact, I did teach it in the beginning. And it was just essentially like, hey, I've been studying for three years or at the point when it started, I'd been studying for four years. And so I'll help you to understand. And there were people like me that felt called to the medicine that that felt like it was their path. And and so that was essentially the seeds of what became the Ayahuasca Foundation. The Ayahuasca Foundation wasn't formally created until 2009. Um, so that was, uh, you know, a year, a little over a year after I stopped working with Don Juan. But the seeds were definitely like planted for it, and it was really the educational aspect of it. My view was, you could heal, you could heal one person but you could teach someone how to heal others and they, you know, could heal so many more people. And so if we were teaching more and more people how they could help others, then more and more people would be able to receive healing. And I also felt that we had such a privilege and an advantage to be able to study with an intact tradition. The healing tradition of the Amazon rainforest is a, at least within the, some tribes, especially with the Shipibo, it's a pretty intact tradition. Uh, it, it, it didn't like get lost. Whereas our ancestors, your ancestors, almost everyone that's, that's listening to this, we all of our ancestors also practice shamanism. They also practice plant medicine, but unfortunately we don't have it intact. And, and for some of us, it's completely lost. But by studying an intact tradition like the one we have in the Amazon, we have the opportunity to revive our own ancestral traditions. And to me, that's really like the, the mission, the goal of the Ayahuasca Foundation is to, to help replant the seeds of ancestral wisdom around the world so that we can regain our connection to nature and that instinctual communication with nature that can be the guide that we lack to restore harmony and balance in the world. So what are we doing specifically? Well, we offer the eight-week course, the initiation course I talked about a little bit earlier. Um, it's in a fantastic course. It's definitely my passion uh, to, to put that course together. We've offered it 40 times and we've had over 500 people do that course. And now we have... Our students have churches in the United States and ayahuasca retreat centers in Peru and in Costa Rica and in Mexico and in Denmark and Holland. And there are people practicing in South Africa and Portugal and all over the world now, there are people leading ceremonies that got their training from the Ayahuasca Foundation. And there's a real sense of pride in that. Over 18 countries now have ceremonies being led by students from our courses and that's something that is very very fulfilling and well, last year I got to, thank you last year I got to actually attend a ceremony led wow. by five students that wow, were from our course that's the first time I've ever been to a, a, a ceremony led by our students and that meant a lot to me a lot now we also offer retreats Um, We have eight-day retreat, a two-week retreat, and a three-week retreat, and now we have a very special program that's kind of like my new baby. It's called the Healing Empowerment Course, and um, that's a four-week program, and that essentially is designed for people that might not feel the call to become a healer for others, but do feel a special connection and feel that they are ready to be their own healers. And And maybe after the four week, they'll then decide to do the eight week. But it's kind of like a beginner's course in becoming your own healer, which is why I call it the Healing Empowerment Course. That's a very, very special course to me. Um, That's my attempt at creating the future of healing for the world. Um, And that's held at the Riospo Retreat and Research Center. Now, that is a new center that we just built. It opened in 2017 is very, very comfortable. In fact, it's more comfortable than my house in Iquitos. (laughs) Um, It's powered by 63 solar panels on the roof, which gives full electricity. So it's very comfortable in the sense that you have a fan in your room and can stay cooler than normal. Um, It's also incredibly well constructed and has hot and cold water in the showers. Each room has its own bathroom set up almost like a a hotel in a sense in 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 the sense of how much comfort that you have. The idea being that the la- the less you need to worry about any discomfort that might be from your environmental factors, the more attention you can give to the healing process, which is obviously the most important reason for people to be there. Um, and Last year, we hosted the first and only government funded ayahuasca research project uh, funded by the NHS, the National Health Services of the UK, and led by Simon Ruffle and Nigel Netspan, psychiatrists and psychologists from the NHS, who... Congratulations. They, thank you. They did the work, though. And thank you to Simon and Nigel. They are fantastic people beacons of light in the future understanding of medicine. And I'm so grateful for their help and and everything that they have done. They were the ones that applied for and secured the grant from the NHS to fund the research. And they're the ones that are doing all the research. All I did was build the center and and staff it and host it. which I guess there's significant work to be done in that regard, but but they're the ones that really made the research possible. The phase one study completed, it will be published soon, and the results are absolutely amazing. I know that someone else asked in the comment section, um, what was I most surprised about with the research? And one of those, I'm sorry, I forgot who asked that question, but um, the what I was most surprised about was how effective treatment was even for our eight-day program. Um, The eight-day program, to be honest, is a new program as well that was created because it was observed and understood that people just didn't have that much time and uh, people were looking for a short program. I called it the rejuvenation retreat because I didn't think that a lot of healing could take place in such a short period of time even my staff and i had discussions about whether or not we should offer it because we were wondering if we would be able to achieve the outcome we wanted in such a short period of time but what the research showed uh, with regard to anxiety and depression was that you could actually do tremendous healing work in such a short amount of time and i think i was most surprised about that um that even in just eight days people were receiving such profound help with treating depression and anxiety the main focus of the phase one study was childhood trauma but of course childhood trauma and anxiety and depression are very closely related so um it was just it's been fantastic and uh, it continues to be we're going to be expanding the research into phase two that will begin in April and then we'll also be looking at a lot of epigenetic markers that we weren't looking at before and including chronic pain into our evaluations and studies and um, Feng Sang I'd like to give a shout out to him too because he's come on board and he's the one that was responsible for all of the data analysis and really instrumental in getting all of that put together for the publishing But yeah, it's been fantastic, man. If you asked me 10 years ago where I thought I'd be 10 years from now to say that, oh yeah, we have 500 students leading ceremonies all over the world, and we'll be publishing the research in government-funded research studies. That's probably what will be happening. Yeah, that would not have ever entered into my mind. So I'm really, really looking forward to the new decade and another 10 years. Because the sky is the limit and it's so great to see what's happening with the decriminalization movements uh, around the country of the u.s at least and hopefully around the world Santa Cruz, shout out to Santa Cruz and Oakland for voting to decriminalize all entheogenic plants and to make all of the plants on the schedule one the lowest priority for law enforcement. Shout out to Denver for decriminalizing psilocybin cubensis mushrooms and to all the states that have referendums that are now coming up for votes. Massachusetts, where I'm from, may actually be the first state to decriminalize magic mushrooms or psilocybin cubensis mushrooms, that would be fantastic. I would be super proud of Massachusetts for that. But Vermont might beat them out and they might be the first state to do it too. It's very, very exciting. And- More and more people are talking about psychedelics. It's not just something that hippies do anymore. And that's a thanks to John Hopkins University. Thanks, shout out to Roland Griffiths for his incredible work studying psilocybin cubensis mushrooms. They made an announcement last year that they're going to be building a 17 million dollar Psychedelic Therapy Research Center at John Hopkins University and also Imperial College in the UK made a similar announcement. They'll be building their own Psychedelic Therapy Research Institute, uh, the Beckley Institute. There's so many organizations now that are focused on working with psychedelic therapy, working with psychedelics, and working with entheogenic medicine. The world is definitely changing. On February 20th of this year, which is just 10 days away, what is it, 12 days away, there is a giant social media movement, hashtag Thank You Plant Medicine, where everyone is invited to share their own personal story of how plant medicine helped them using the hashtag Thank You Plant Medicine. We're hoping to get over 100,000 people sharing their stories, which will essentially build an incredible database of testimonials proving that plant medicines should not be illegal and all of the referendums that are currently in the works, all of the activism that is currently working so hard to decriminalize and legalize plant medicine will have access to that database to boost their chances of convincing their local governments to vote correctly and legalize plant medicine. So it's an awesome, awesome time to be alive. Uh, Not like it was ever a bad time to be alive, but I'm really stoked about it all. And uh, I look forward to the next decade. I think it's gonna be truly fantastic.
1: What do you see happening at that time in the in in decade? from? What do you see happening? Man, uh, <laughs> <quite> <laughs>
0: enough, <right? laughs> uh, what I would love to see is that when you feel like you have a problem uh, that, that might require the advice and guidance of a medical profession, that you would go to a doctor and your doctor would use a wide variety of options to find what would be the best path for you forward in your treatment. And that would include a lot of ancestral methods, like you, the use of entheogenic plant medicines. Perhaps they would recommend that you visit and take part in an ayahuasca retreat or that you. Uh, go to see a psychedelic therapist to use psilocybin cubensis mushrooms or that you receive treatment with ibogaine or with San Pedro or peyote or some other plant medicine that returns us to a natural ancestral tradition of healing, which kept us in a really wonderfully healthy place for about a hundred thousand years. So I think that if we're looking for a form of medicine that can help to bring us back, not just to to a healthy community or a healthy population, but to a healthy planet. The revival of ancestral traditions, the respect for indigenous culture and the remembrance that we are a part of nature would be the best path forward. And so I'm, I'm really hoping that the future generations don't get caught up in the bullshit of corporatism and just look at what is the most effective way to treat illness and the most benefit that we can achieve from the steps that we take forward. And to me, that's a revival of nature or our connection to nature.
1: Thank you, thank you, Carlos. And also at the same time, I want to publicly thank everybody everybody who's doing this kind and supporting this kind of research and movement and it's it's so important because not long ago this was our medicine and then we in the modern society we went into these pills and drugs that didn't really do any good in the long term and not to us but not even to the environment and now we're coming back we're going back to our origins and I'm happy to see what's going on. I'm happy to see that there is there is this movement happening that people are and organizations and places like and people like you Carlos who are you know looking to bring awareness of what is this actually what is it actually doing for the for a human being what is it actually doing for our planet earth and I'm I'm happy to see this kind of movement. Um, I'm surprised. I'm surprised because when I went for ayahuasca two years ago, um, yeah, my mind was just blown away. And I realized, okay, this is the real deal. This is no drug. This is something that heals me. This is not something that destroys me. This is something that shows me the truth. This is something that put that love inside of me. This is something that showed me. Remember me. Claudio, do you even know what nature is? Do you even remember what nature is? And in that moment, it was just me and one big fire in front of me. So in those moments, I was just I was just crying. And how could I forget? How could I forget about nature? Because until then, I didn't I wouldn't say I I was mean to nature, but after that experience, it just made me more aware of what I was doing, all my actions. All this plastic that we are using around, all everything, all all this tree cutting around, all you know, just simply walking on the street, seeing something flying like that, I'm just stopping and taking it and putting it in its right place in a bin. it, 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 it really, really shifted everything I knew. And I'm happy to see that we are going back to nature. And really, I just wanna say a massive thank you, you know, for everybody who's supporting these movements and the research and people like you, Carlos. And there are a lot of people as well who with the best intentions would try to help and support someone who needs healing. And if they don't need any healing, I'm happy that they still come and they share, what is this? That this is not a drug. These medicines are sacred and are coming from planet earth and they are here to show us the way back home. Mm-hmm. And the way back home I was never too far away. It only sits 20 centimeters below our nose. <laughs> and really, I want to say massive thank you, you know, keep going on with this stuff because I I want people to be, feel safe when they go for their healings and I'd be afraid that someone might interrupt that ceremony and break the, the door and put all of them in a prison cell because of Something that hasn't been understood. And I'm all up for legalizing all of this stuff. It's it's not it's how can something that heal you be bad? Um, and on, on that note, I I've been myself in a journey for two years now, and I came to the point of being two times in ceremonies and the medicine telling me you don't need this anymore. Your journey has finished. But that doesn't mean I'm not for pro ayahuasca. I'm not pro for for medicines. It only shifted my intention. And my intention shifted from healing myself to supporting and empowering the others who are looking for their own healing and telling them, look, this is what I felt. This is what I found. And I'm here to tell you that you're not alone in this. And no matter how scared you are in this ceremony, no matter how that you forgot everything that people said to you how you should act in a ceremony when you're scared, when you don't know your name anymore, I want you to know that you are safe here, that we are holding your hand, but you need to do that work, but we can support and hold your hand while you go through this process inside of yourself. Um, And really what it comes down to for me, I found that healing inside, and now I shifted to supporting and creating this podcast of putting a voice out there and shining a light and having people like you, Carlos, and people who have experienced and people who are not just plant medicine, but this life. This life, how do you go on with this life? And I feel it's about being a better person and coming to the coming – understanding how to get down to find that healing and that love inside of you, no matter your own path, being it plant medicine, being it meditation of sorts, being it dancing, being it anything. Everybody I feel, there's there's so many people of us, seven and a half, eight billions out there. That means to me, eight billions kind of different truths inside and eight eight billion different kinds of pathways to our own healing. And ultimately those roads take us to the same place and that is love that is the oneness that we always have been part of and sometimes we need to be reminded and plant medicine is there to remind us of that place we call home in our own time and it is a journey and i feel that the essence of the journey is enjoying it and sometimes it's so hard to enjoy something that's that's causing you hurt in that moment but that's the moment where your being just cracks open for that healing to come in. How will you be able to receive that healing if you never experienced the low inside of your system? It's just an invitation for you to show the medicine. What is it that you need to release? Where is it that you need to make peace with yourself? And ultimately, ultimately coming back to that truth inside of you, that you have always been part of this, so, going back to the plan, thank you, Plan Medicine. I'm really, I don't know what the future holds for me, but I will, I wish to support the journey of the others in any way and form I can do. Um, and uh, really, that, that goes, goes, goes down to me thanking publicly to the medicine. And I feel. I feel it's important to also give back. You know, we go there. I personally, I went there and I took something from other ayahuasca, and not just the ayahuasca, but other kind of medicines. And I felt, I felt I wish to give back, and this is one of the ways I wish to give back to plant medicine. And I don't know what the future holds in terms of me having ceremony, being in a ceremony of ayahuasca. But really, we'll see that in time. But we should never forget to give back when we receive. Um, what are your thoughts on, on this matter, Carlos, of giving back to the medicine and showing respect to the medicine and love
0: to the medicine? Right. Um, I mean, that's part of the attention that we hope to give. Um, you know, that's the positive attention that we give and and that's what we give to our children. And that's how we spread the love that we have for them. We share that love with them. We share the loving energy with them through our attention and through positive attention. And so we can spread that all the time. I mean, it's, it's much easier for us to spread that when we're actually in the presence of the plants, but it doesn't, it's not required. Um, we can love trees from inside a building too. And but it, I, I think that it certainly is very, very helpful to put ourselves in the presence of those plants and, and the presence of those trees to remember just how amazing they are and, and how connected we are. And the more that we can connect with nature, then the better off we will be. And nature knows. Nature will always right itself. Nature will always find balance. And so the more connected we are to nature, then the more we will find balance and the more we will right ourselves as well. And and the way that we connect is through our attention, by giving that attention, by giving our, our time and our energy of our thoughts and our emotions, and also if possible, our physical states to connecting with nature, to being in nature, even if it's just going to a park, sitting in the grass, make an extra time for you to be able to just sit quietly in nature for a few minutes each day if possible, or hopefully to have a weekend excursion where you go on a hike and, you know, have a good amount of time, maybe a few hours where it's just you and nature and maybe a few close friends. But the attention that we give, it's, uh, it's the most important. Like that's, that's how we move the energy that we have. And, and so being grateful for being a part of this. And, and that's what I was saying about the fascination. Like, just remember just how fascinating it is. <laughs> it's, it's not hard to do. It's not hard at all. You know, just go outside, look at a cloud, you know, look at the sun, wherever you are, watch the rain, find a bug, anything. It's all like absolutely fascinating. It's really incredible. Don't just explain it away. Don't just name it. You know, don't just say that's just a grasshopper. or Don't just say that's just a leaf. Just look at it for what it is because I guarantee you, you will agree that it is absolutely fascinating. And, and we are absolutely a fas- fascinating. You are fascinating. And because you are fascinating, how can you not be thankful for that? Thanks so much for being fascinating. I'm so <laughs> thankful to get to be this way, to get to be me. And I'm not saying that I'm somehow better than somebody else. We should all be relishing in that. We should all be embracing our existence because it is all truly a miracle. It is unexplainable. It, just naming it doesn't mean that it is explained. It cannot be explained. And that's the mystery and and magic that children understand, but that we often ignore. And through that gratitude of fascination comes self-love. And not just self-love for for the individual, self-love for this giant entity that we are, this giant living being. Call it the earth or even go further and call it the universe or call that God. We're all part of it. And it's all something that we deserve to love. And in loving God or loving the universe or loving the earth, we love ourselves.
1: Wow. Thank you. I wanted to also touch a little bit on the integration part, but then I realized exactly what you share here. It's actually part of integration of everything. And not just plant medicines, but life. Everything that's happening in your life, you know? How about just enjoying how about going there for a walk how about looking at that bug how about embracing that tree that's really really good stuff there and um um, is, is there something i know you're we talked about a lot of stuff here is there something that you are currently looking to work on on future projects as well or goals at this time that you have interest in the future
0: well if you know me I never stop uh, my mind is always like painting visions uh, I love it so yes my uh, my the next plan that I have although I have no idea how I'm going to get there but um I want to make the first ayahuasca museum in Iquitos and essentially like build a space that is a collection of the ancestral wisdom as Hopefully, as best it can be presented, and everyone that visits Iquitos, I want it to become a a reason to even go to Iquitos, even if you don't intend to take ayahuasca, but especially if you do, to visit the museum. I think that anyone going to Iquitos to drink ayahuasca would probably go to an ayahuasca museum if there was one, and in so doing, they would cultivate their inner environment by enhancing their understanding of how they can become a participant play a participatory role in their own healing process. And so I would. I want the, the museum not just to like uh, be a collection of knowledge, but to be a tool that enhances everyone's healing experiences. I want you to leave the museum healed, you know, just by learning how consciousness can activate your own healing abilities and your own healing potentials. And I want it to be for children as well. Um, uh, who would all go to the museum for free? I want to, in, in, you know, invite schools to bring their classes there so that they can grow up understanding a connection to nature and the need to cultivate it and the desire to. And so, yeah, my next project is, will definitely be the ayahuasca Museum. Um, but in the meantime, this this year, I hope to finish my first book and perhaps start to write a series of books about my own personal experiences and the lessons I've learned from them.
1: Hmm. Wonderful. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Um, I hope I can get the sample at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, really, we we share so much here. And for me, this is quite interesting because I find a lot of people and a lot of people ask me a question and they all have different opinions and some of them, they didn't find yet the answer, but to you, Carlos,
0: what is happiness to you? Well, I mean, I keep, I don't wanna like beat a dead horse or whatever, but um, but yeah, the, the fulfillment I think is the, the simplest answer. But it, it, it again, goes back, and I I use the word fascination. I mean, there's a lot of words that you can use. I always fall back on that one. But uh, to me, happiness is a sense of fulfillment that you don't have an emptiness inside. And, you know, like the literal term fulfillment. And, And so getting back to that, that, that vessel of self-love when it's cracked, you know, then some, some of that love can pour out and and there's some emptiness in that vessel. But when you have it full, then you are full, fulfilled. I think that's what we're really all trying to achieve. What we're striving for is to feel fulfilled. And, and I, I mean, I, I, I find, or I feel so blessed to have gotten to a point where I can have that fulfillment and have it be as simple as thinking about spending time with my daughter, or just thinking about spending time out in nature, not even having to do it, but just thinking about it because the fulfillment is there so many times for me in my life. and 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 so no matter where i'm at or what position i'm in i know i can just think about all the blessings i have in my life to be fulfilled and mm. and i know that my life i mean from my perspective is absolutely magnificent and i hope that every person can get to a point where they can say a statement like that and there are a lot of things going on in our lives, especially anyone that's watching this, where we have about a million miracles going on right now. You know, you're watching this with eyes that work, that you can see. And maybe a couple of you or a few of you aren't. Maybe you're blind, but you're listening to this with ears that hear. I'm going to take a guess that the vast majority of people have both. And when they finish this, they'll maybe get up. They'll stand up on their two legs and walk over to the bathroom or to get something to eat or do whatever. You know, these are these little things that we take for granted so much. There's a million illnesses that we don't have. And we don't think about the fact that we don't have them, but if we did, we would. If I had a toothache right now, I probably would be struggling to think of anything but the suffering that the toothache was causing me. But I don't have a toothache. And how awesome is that? Like if I had one, I'd be wishing I didn't. That would be my biggest goal. And I have achieved it. I don't have a toothache. No, How many of us have toothaches? Almost none. I feel bad. Sorry for the one that does. But it will pass. You know what I'm saying? There's all these things that we can feel blessed because they are real truths about how incredible our lives are. And yeah, we've got problems. All of us have our issues. All of us have our problems. But if you wrote on a piece of paper all the things that are going right for you and all the things that are not, the list of things that aren't going right for you is going to be minuscule compared to all the things that are going right for you and and so just being grateful for all those things can be a really great step in the right direction towards happiness thank you carlos
1: thank you um I wanted to share something as we are coming closer to you know wrapping things up here, and of course I will invite you. If there's something that you wish to leave our guests with, with you can do that. But I wanted to share something that I said to you in the beginning. I'm gonna share later on with you that we do share something in common in your as your journey started there when you went and you said, "When I'm gonna be uh, 20, 29, I'm gonna do everything." I. I found myself, well, actually in my 20s, I wanted to, I said, when I'm going to be 30, I'm going to be a millionaire. I always wanted to be a millionaire by the time I turned 30. Long Long story, very short, I find myself, I'm 29, and I realized that there's actually so much more than this body. There's actually so much more than what I can see with my eyes. There's so much because I can feel so much that I don't understand what it is. I don't have a teacher to tell me what it is. I don't have someone that can relate because my circles were toxic and different at that point. One day, I found out about ayahuasca in 2017, by the end of it. And in January 2018, I went for ayahuasca for my first ever ceremony. And... Uh, I was 29 at the time, one month away from turning 30. So I always remembered, oh, I'm gonna be a millionaire. I got there and I just, I have the most mind blowing experience because that was the whole point. I had to break this, to go back this here into my heart and to see myself and to make peace with myself. And what, two weeks later I realized, "Whoa." I did become a millionaire. I'm 30, I'm a millionaire, but I became a millionaire in heart. And there's no amount of money that can buy that. Peace inside of yourself and love inside of yourself. And I'm so grateful for everything. That's what I wanted to share with you uh, on that thing that
0: I think there's something in common there that's quite beautiful. Well, yeah, I think you know, in, in getting back to fulfillment, you know, it sounds like you're describing like the realization of fulfillment. And, and I think that we were led down a road to think that we could buy it. And we had, uh, we had spirit kind of systematically removed from our cultural understanding or our cultural paradigms. And, you know, our shamans are our, our Coranderos of our ancestors, at least in Europe were condemned as witches and you know there was essentially an extermination and and we were left with uh an emptiness that we lacked fulfillment and and consumerism was introduced as a way to hopefully provide that fulfillment but here we are generations later knowing full well that yeah that doesn't work you cannot buy fulfillment and you cannot buy the the love that is the only substance to fill that emptiness, our soul, our spirit, and and that's why I think that we find ourselves in this new uh, renaissance or this you know return to ancestral wisdom because we went the other way, and yeah, it didn't work out. The what we were told didn't come true. And even people with billions of dollars are still suffering the same lack of fulfillment. That third house doesn't do it. That fifth car doesn't do it. That jet doesn't do it. The ship, whatever. There's nothing that you can buy that brings you to that peace and that, that sense of fulfillment that I see in the eyes and the hearts and the lives of the indigenous people that I work with in jungle communities that have nothing, financially speaking but have everything in terms of heart and understanding what generosity is and their connection to nature which is the key to fulfillment. So yeah, I definitely can resonate wh- with what you're talking about and I think that everyone in our generation can resonate with what you're talking about and that's why I feel like the future generation they're going they're they're not going to play that game anymore. The children today will grow up with a whole new outlook. In fact, I think right now, if we could just honestly articulate, articulate all of the problems that the world is facing right now, free from any influence of corporatism or any agendas or anything, but just honestly articulate all of the problems that the entire world is facing right now and handed them to a group of fifth graders, they would all solve them, all of them. They'd all be solved because they wouldn't be hampered by the limitations of politics or the bullshit of corporatism or all of that. And because the answers aren't even that complicated, they are quite simple, you know? Oh, we're polluting the earth. Let's stop. You know, (laughs) let's find alternatives. Let's use plastic bags made of corn instead that were biodegradable. Like all of these things are not so complicated and they will be solved. And I feel very, very hopeful hopeful about the future. In fact, I know that they will be solved because nature is very, very wise and nature will heal itself. And it is. And ayahuasca is one of the methods that it's using to heal itself as ayahuasca. And that consciousness transformation is spreading throughout the Western world. Changes are happening and they will continue to happen. And the future looks
1: bright. It, I heard that there might be some shortage on ayahuasca vines there. Is there something like that happening there, you know, like with the sustainability of the vine? I
0: I would say right now there we're in what could be called a dangerous window. Um, there is incredible efforts to, create sustainability. And so Chris Killam, uh, shout out to Chris Killam, the author of Ayahuasca Test Pilots Handbook. Um, he is, I think the only person to ever do this, but he did a sustainability study. And essentially what he found was that there is going to be a solid sustainable system of Ayahuasca, but because Ayahuasca takes a good 10 years, for maturity, there is a, we're we're kind of in the middle of a 10 year window where centers like our own, where we've planted about a thousand ayahuasca vines and other centers, you know, there are, there are centers that are planting thousands of ayahuasca vines. And now ayahuasca is also spreading outside of the Amazon rainforest. So you've got like probably a thousand vines in Hawaii or more and um, rain, um, greenhouses and, you know, all tropical areas. There's ayahuasca like being planted all over the world now. And so it's really just a question of making sure that we have sustainability until the maturity of those projects come to fruition. And so there is this little bit of window that we're probably in right now, but I don't think it's a very serious danger. Um, And so I, I think there'll most likely be a surplus. And in terms of the future of psychedelic therapy. I don't think that ayahuasca will probably be the prominent force. I would say that psilocybin cubensis mushrooms will probably be uh, better suited for a global movement because right I mean, you could, by the end of this year, you could grow enough mushrooms for every single human being to take in a healing therapeutic way um, with, without trouble, you know, like the entire 8 billion people could all have enough psilocybin cubensis mushrooms simply because they grow so plentiful and so quickly so it just makes sense that that's probably going to be our go-to entheogen um, simply because there's never going to be an issue about sustainability whereas ayahuasca will probably be reserved for more serious cases that might require like a greater depth but what we have to learn from the ayahuasca traditions to me that is more valuable than the substances themselves, is the way of use, the method of use, and the ideologies and methodologies that surround the use of it, which are essentially uh, an understanding of how we can enhance the effects of psychedelic medicines. So psilocybin cubensis doesn't really have an intact tradition that way. Peyote probably has the most intact, or perhaps San Pedro, perhaps Ibogaine, but even all three of those traditions have not really been kept intact to the level that ayahuasca has. So we are presented with the the opportunity to have a gift of learning how best to use psychedelic therapy by working with the indigenous tribes that still have an intact ayahuasca tradition. and And so that to me is like really the the greatest value that we have by preserving those traditions and working with ayahuasca. And, and that's what ayahuasca tourism is doing essentially, is helping to preserve those traditions that might have disappeared the same way that so many other ancestral traditions did through the process of consumerism and westernization. But having the ayahuasca tourism in- industry where corinderos can actually make more money following their ancestral lineage than they could getting a job as a lumberjack or chainsaw repairman or working in an oil well or any other position, then they'll most likely continue to preserve their familial lineages and their ancestral traditions. So I don't see that there is a danger for ayahuasca sustainability. Um, And I also think that ancestral traditions are going to be preserved thanks to the growth of uh, ayahuasca tourism industry and the, and the spread of the ancestral wisdom.
1: That's interesting because I read that these big companies uh, want a piece of the silo sibin and the big pharma. So that's it's interesting that you speak about this because it kind of answers my question because that's the ayahuasca tourist who's going to keep alive these traditions and the lineage of the eras to do their work and not, not go to into this big pharma that they might want to take a piece off. Cause yeah, uh, I was a little bit be worried when I read that there. Um, I, I don't know what their plans are for the future in regards to ayahuasca. I only read something on the internet about the big companies wishing to go into Psilocybin. Um and I don't know how, I don't know how that will, impact and if we will have an impact on on ayahuasca in any way
0: to be honest i mean i could totally see that if we are going to have a transition i could totally see like having psilocybin pills something of that nature um and they're like given to you in a bottle that you know resembles like what medicine is currently done i'm not a huge fan of that because i i think that the tradition is what we probably deserve to give more attention to, which is what I feel like is the most lacking, where we have just the idea that uh, there's just a chemical process going on without regard to the consciousness elements. And so you do just go to a, uh, the pharmacy, you get your pills, and you just take a pill. There's no... Uh, emphasis on tradition no emphasis on ritual there's no emphasis on enhancing the effects of the medicines nothing uh, to do with consciousness in in direction towards the healing and that to me is uh one of the greatest reasons if not the greatest reason why we are finding such a lack of effectiveness with the current pharmaceutical medications that we take so i could see that you know um, psilocybin might be put into like a pill form that you can buy But I think that the greater strides forward would hope to be the uh, learning and development of therapeutic uses of a tradition of use um, that would be similar to like ceremonies. And, you know, there's a reason why ayahuasca is ingested in ceremonies and it's not haphazard. It's a science of uh, consciousness enhancement to increase the effective potential of the medicine, at least the way that I view it. And I think that we have a lot to learn by studying those traditions and those rituals and those practices and how they work with consciousness to enhance the effectiveness of medicine. But I'm not, I don't even mind that if, if, I don't know, Merck or some crazy pharmaceutical company made a psilocybin pill. Yeah. I don't even know if that would bother me because tons of people are still going to just grow mushrooms, you know, like mushrooms. They don't take some, you don't have to be a scientist in a pharmaceutical laboratory to make psilocybin. You can just grow mushrooms. And, you know, if they're legal, then tons and tons of people are just going to grow mushrooms and you'll just go down to your local store and buy a jar of mushrooms and, you know, and you don't need to get a pill from the pharmacy and and but some people won't do that and so maybe and some people consciously actually will have be in a position where they prefer they actually trust the pharmaceutical tube you know like the the medicine creates a certain trust in them because certain people are like that already like pharmaceutical medication for some people they trust it more and I'm definitely not one of those people, but some people are like that, you know, where if it comes in the pill and a guy in a white jacket with a stethoscope hands it to them, they trust that more than if a a person grows it in their backyard. Um, it's unfortunate that we're like that, but, but I could see that it might actually benefit people to have a pharmaceutical psychedelic grade medicine available. Uh, I, I might get like a lot of negative comments as if I'm supporting the pharmaceutical industry in that regard. But honestly, my, I just want people to be healthy. You know, I just want people to restore their balance. I'm not against, uh, any form of medicine that is effective. It's, uh, it's just ineffective medicines that I am don't see. I don't understand why we're still using them.
1: I think it's interesting that we bring this up because, it's bringing awareness of what could be and what could happen. And I think it gives the people a choice. Do you want to go for this pill or you want to go and have a ceremony in a tradition, in, a, with, in, a, in through the lineage of a Kurandero who has been in this and you are supporting that community as well? And you are in something, I mean, you are with nature. So, in a way, I think it, it's fine, totally, it's fine it's you, you have a choice. And sometimes some things that are happening outside of us, it's out of our control, but what we can do is make a choice for ourselves. And there are many options out there. And I'm glad that, you know, it's important that we, that we share this awareness about what could be and what might happen in the future now so that we understand and, um, Really, I feel like go wherever you feel called to. Go wherever you feel called to and who am I or Carlos to tell you what to do? We can only speak about ourselves and how how we want to take care of Mother Earth and the traditions and the indigenous people and our
0: way of giving back to medicine. I think that Marlboro is probably going to come out with a a pack of joints that you can buy, right? Like (laughs) marijuana cigarettes. (laughs) People People can buy those if they want to when they come out, or you can go to your weed dispensary and buy some weed that was grown by somebody that probably loves and cares tremendously about their marijuana plants. And everyone will always have that option. And I think to be honest, like, i think we have so much to learn from studying the tradition that i could easily see some wonderful studies that i'd love to have done where we took elements of the tradition and not having to get any fda approval or any complications very easily in we could create a study where for example instead of just going to a hospital to get chemotherapy you got chemotherapy out in the woods somewhere in a different facility a ceremony facility that was not a hospital it was a ceremony space and the ceremony involved having chemotherapy but the lights were turned out there was an ideology presented a philosophy uh, about intention about gratitude, about stating your intention to the chemotherapy as you're starting the process. There's songs that are sung calling in healing energies during the process and, you know, turning the chemotherapy experience into a sacred event that encourages people to look inward with gratitude. And I think you'd have a higher uh, rate of success with chemotherapy. And And that could easily demonstrate just how important it is, how we take our medicines, not just what medicines we take. Am I saying that I'm for chemotherapy? Of course not. But chemotherapy is there. And if we can make it work better, then that would be a step forward. And I think we could do that with all of our pharmaceutical medication. I think we have a lot of people right now that are taking a medication every day that they hate. And that alone is a statement that seems to me to be at odds with each other like you cannot hate your medicine if you want it to heal you are you going to heal yourself with hatred yeah that's not going to happen so how many people open up their bottle of pills each day and they already have a negative physiological response to doing it and yet they take that pill and their body responds without a great positive response to it. So what if we had a study where every time you took the pill, you held it in your hands, and you said thank you to the pill, and you expressed your intention for what you hope that pill to heal when you took it. And then for a minute after you took it, you had a meditation uh, about, you know, blessing the, the medicine that you took and uplifting its ability to heal you does that mean i'm some advocate for pharmaceutical medication no of course not but would that be more effective it might be in fact i think it would be and if you are taking pharmaceutical medication i recommend doing that because i think that it would become more effective and i think that acknowledging and including and developing greater ways for consciousness to enhance the healing process is definitely future of medicine and if it's not then we're stupid because consciousness is clearly at the heart of healing and we need to recognize that to the level where it becomes a central focus for us in our understanding of how people heal thank you carlos really thank you so
1: we're coming we're coming close to you know closing our ceremony here um It's been a fantastic time and uh, really this episode here, it's indeed, you know, like a ceremony of its own. And I feel life is ceremony also. And really I'm, I'm here and I wanna show my respect towards the medicine. I'm here to show my respects towards Mother Earth. I'm here to show my respects towards spirit. I'm here to show my respect to you, Carlos. I'm here to show my respect to you guys, also. I'm here to show my respect to everybody, who, who, who is there. And I want to say thank you, and thank you for being here with us, and thank you for listening, and thank you for just being. And uh, really, um, just keep close and know that you're never alone. And. If you feel like, like you are alone, that's okay. You can send me a message. You can find me on Facebook and send me a message if you, if you feel alone and we'll, we'll see what we can do about it. Um. And really, I feel the key is to be in the heart. When you don't know what's going on anymore, be in the heart. Where you're in that ceremony of ayahuasca and you don't see with your eyes anything, it's just darkness, or you might have fun. Just be in the heart. If you don't know what is the heart, just breathe. If you don't know what to do anymore, just call upon love. Call upon yourself. Call upon God. Call upon just love and just be. If you don't know anything of that, just dissolve in whatever you're feeling. Just surrender. Surrender to the happening.
0: Carlos... Thank you very much for being here with us. Thank you for having me. And I totally agree. Life is a ceremony. The reason we gather in malokas to drink ayahuasca in the jungle is just to remind ourselves of that fact.
1: Aho! Aho! <laughs> so, tune in back again soon, guys. And keep close. In medicine.